Good evening and welcome to episode 370 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamandongwa Kumalo. It's a Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to the family. You're tuned into the leading property podcast in all things relating to property right here on the Private Property Podcast. And of course, do make sure that you share the love, share this live to your friends and family on your social media platform so they can see what you are up to and to our regular viewers on facebook and instagram or on youtube welcome to it you know how we do every single weekday you and i are in a conversation we have an appointment where i'm always in conversation with a property expert who helps us make better property decisions and it doesn't matter where you are in the property journey this is certainly the place that you can come to uh, to help you when you make your decisions and talking about making decisions and are there great shows that you can find on Private Property's social media pages. It is a Tuesday. Balinoko will be bringing you the Farming Podcast later on at 8 p.m. And you can also catch her every single Thursday at the same time. Every Mondays and Fridays, Chad brings you the Home Shoppers Show, where he always takes you through incredible properties that you can find on www.privateproperty.co.za. And on Wednesdays, Esty Clarson brings you the first time Home Buyers Show, where she's always in conversation with people who've gone uh, beyond buying that first property but have grown their property portfolios from strength to strength. Well, those are the great shows every single weekday at 8 p.m. Remember, we are counting down to the Real Estate Industry Summit that is taking place later this week. And you can find out more details about the speakers, the lineup, and what you can expect uh, for that incredible property event that's certainly going to deepen your property knowledge on realestateindustrysummit.co.za. And of course, there's myself, Ozamantongwa Kumalo, taking you through your favorite uh, property show every single weekday at 7 p.m. And this evening is going to be no different, um, of course. And before we get into our conversation this evening, as you would know, we're running an incredible uh, competition where we're always giving away 500 rands in cash every single weekday. And all you have to do to stand a chance of walking away with that 500 rands is to make sure that you comment on the post that we have put up on our Facebook page and you stand a chance of walking away with the cash prize. You have to be watching us live in order to claim your prize. Well, let's get started with our conversation this evening. I've got Osakila Sibego, who's an attorney and director at SM Sibego Attorneys. And we're looking at all you need to know about a property sale in property sale transactions, um, rather. Sakila, good evening and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Good evening, Zama. Thank you for having me once more and good evening to the viewers. Thank you so much, Sakile. So Sakile and I were you're joking off air who are saying that every time uh, you know I have him on the show, I'm always traveling. I'm currently out of time, town. I'm in Durban. And, and I say to him, clearly, he's my traveling lucky charm. Uh, so we must always you know, book him regularly. Then I know then that I will probably be traveling because squeezing in travel is already difficult enough uh, as it is. But uh, Sakila, I think let's get started with our conversation this evening. One of the things that we know about uh, certainly looking at property sale transactions, um, and even when we, you know buying or on the sell side, 
a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes we just don't understand that sort of the full cycle um, of what is happening. And it can be you know, so daunting. You've got to offer to purchase. You don't quite know what to look out for. And when we look at the, you know, the sale transaction at, and the first starting point is, of course, the offer to purchase. Uh, and at a high level, we talk about the offer to purchase quite regularly in the show. But just briefly, what are some of the key things you need to watch out for when it, when we talk about that sale agreement um, as a buyer? When Before you sign, what are just key things that need to be uh, included in that offer to purchase? All right. So, Zama, to basically just have a basic sale agreement, there are four Ps that to talk about. And um, importantly, we'd have to have the, the, the property description, which is a property you're buying and or selling. Uh, obviously, identify the parties. There should be a purchase price and payment terms. That is how, you know, you'd be paying if there's going to be a bond, how that bond would be secured, by when. And those would be just the basics that you'd have to just look out for. Everything else really would stand as generic, but those are the four important things. And obviously, if there are any suspensive conditions or resolutive conditions or any just conditions applicable to that uh, agreement transaction. Mm. And, and, you know, Sakina, one, one of the things that we know typically uh, happens in, in an offer to purchase or can happen is you know, the disclosure section where a, a seller uh, can uh, disclose things uh, about the property. Perhaps you know, share with us some of the things that can be inclusive in terms of a seller disclosing something because I think sometimes people don't know what they don't know and as far as some of those disclosures about you know the, uh, a property or any property uh, for that matter and I think as a seller what are the kinds of things that you should be disclosing uh, about your property when you are selling it and of course also about to uh, sign that offer to purchase. Okay, so generally when you talk of the disclosure, you'd look at your the general condition of a property. So that would be um, any defects, any structural uh, defects, damages, you know, cracks on the wall, um, a, roofing, um, a leaking roof, you know, if the gate is working, electrical issues, um, basically just the general condition of a property. Uh, but what you'd also want to disclose, uh, if you are aware of, if there are any servitudes on the property, and remember, servitude is a limited real right of a property. Um, and, you know, your personal servitudes, you'd be talking of use of rights, which is someone X has got a right to use and enjoy this property or a right to occupy the property. So very important, if there are any servitudes on the property, then they need to be disclosed. Typically on farms or bigger properties, sometimes ESCOM would have a servitude where there would be, you know, that have the, um, um, those electrical cables and the guys might need to drive in every now and then just to maintain um, such things. So those things are, are some of the, the disclosures that would have to be brought forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sakila, one of the big things when I even think about servitudes is 
so more often than not, people don't even you know know about servitudes. And I'm now speaking particularly to people who will buy you know freestanding full title uh, properties that aren't, for instance, in a gated community. Uh, so you know, just as you're buying a property in a suburb or even a township, and you may not be aware of what the servitudes are. And we're seeing instances where sometimes people go to the extent of even building on top of uh, uh, you know in areas where they shouldn't be building within the yard. And of course, we know the danger of that, right? That Umaspala, when they need to access that servitude line, they know that they have the right of that space. They need to be able to access this and do whatever work that they do. And you would have essentially been, you would have essentially built it illegally because if you had done an actual plan, we know it wouldn't have gotten uh, approved because the municipality would have told you that, listen, there's a servitude line running there and we cannot be having you, you know, building a double story or or whatever kind of structure um, in that particular place. I think it, it really is one of those key things that people need to be aware of, especially if you are going to be, you know, buying and building in areas where you think, ah, I won't get, you know, formal approval uh, to, to build in this particular place. Or when you are buying and you know that your intention is to build, um, make sure that you're first aware whether there's going to be that restriction because that's that's a restriction you can't sort of bypass or, or work around. I mean, other restrictions you can probably play around with, but but not so much um, that one. Wouldn't you say, um, Sakilin? You're correct. Look, there's been instances where municipalities have taken people to court and, you know, in an order that... Uh, the people need to then demolish the properties because, yes, um, you didn't build probably according to plan or you've built on a municipal servitude. And typical servitude, you know, typically we have those building lines always say stay two meters away from the um, wall. And you find that people normally, when you buy a property, when you have the plans drawn up, you know, um, they comply, but when people then start building, it's always, you know, let's just stretch it a bit, let's just, and uh, the consequences of, of that is that when the municipality picks it up, yes, you'll be given the notice, but eventually they end up getting a court order which would say, look, you need to demolish, and this might be a very expensive structure or costly structure, and even demolishing it might affect the whole house. So, very important for people to um, be aware. Of the servitudes and you know remain within the boundaries and respect the servitudes. I am this evening in conversation with Usakile Sibego, uh, an attorney and director at SM Sibego Attorneys. And we're looking at what you need to know about property sale transactions right here on the private property podcast with myself, Uzamandongwa Kumalo. We're going to go for a quick break and when we come back, we're going to certainly find out more about this. And I want to find out from you at home, what were some of the things that you learned uh, when you were buying a property? Um, you know, and, and that really caught you by surprise. I know some of you, of course, have been watching the show for over a year. So there's quite a lot that you already know about, uh, you know, sale, property sale transactions um, and regardless of the property type that you are buying. But what are some of the things that you encountered that really did surprise you along your property journey? We're going to go for this quick break and see who the lucky winner is of that 500 rands in cash that is in the money bag, of course, for the competition that we're running on our Facebook page. We'll be back just after this. Time flies.
down here below. And if you do, then the 500 Rand is all yours. And remember, if you want to be just like Utsulu, all you have to do is to comment on our uh, Facebook page. We've got a pinned post where we want to find out all about the things that you have learned as you watch the show and the great advice that you'd like to share uh, with the rest of the community. I am, of course, con in conversation this evening with Usakile Sibego, who's in training director at SM Sibego Attorneys. We're looking at all you need to know about property sale transaction. And I want to find out from you at home, you know, what were some of the things that you learned about uh, as you were buying your property and really picked up along the way that you, you probably uh, weren't aware of as you were navigating your property journey? Now, Sakila, I think one of the things, and we've already touched on this, uh, you know, when we look at servitudes, that could easily be an area of, of dispute, um, especially if a buyer, for instance, wasn't aware of it and they buy and they had this big intention of uh, potentially building where they are buying. But I'm keen to hear from you, you know, what, what, what kind of disputes would you typically find um, when we look at uh, people who are buying a property and suppose the property transaction either doesn't go through or there are issues along the way. And I know that sometimes the issues even have to do with disclosures, but what are some of the disputes that a buyer could potentially have um, with a seller when they are buying a property um, that they might even you know, want to have uh, or pick up a legal matter, let's say even after transfer, or want to make sure that transfer doesn't happen until these particular things uh, are sorted out. So some of the common disputes that you've you know, typically found between a buyer and a seller. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to see uh, it's on mute. No, we're not on mute. So you, you, we can hear you clearly. Uh, so you are indeed audible. Okay. Um, so some of the disputes that would have, uh, typically you'll find that when a person buys, obviously with the purchase price, that uh, there might be a suspensive condition um, of saying you must get, you know, your final bond approval within X number of days, failing which, obviously, um, if that condition is not met, then the, the, the transaction would then have to be cancelled. Um, so you get certain disputes where a person buys a property, pays a deposit, and then, but it's, it's, there's a suspensive condition of that bond fulfillment. And you'll find that now when the bond has not been granted, the seller would not then want to reimburse the, uh, the purchaser. And that always raises a concern. Um, and sometimes you also deal with a property where disclosures um, or there's been misrepresentations of the disclosures and just before the transfer, you actually realize that you know, it was actually, this was not disclosed, then it's, it's a big issue. There's a big crack in the wall or the part person just tries to hide it with paints or something like that. Uh, that also would then be grounds for dispute. Um, and basically just people not fulfilling the conditions of the, of the contracts, uh, either before or after, um, would also raise a dispute. And how those disputes would then be dealt with, typically you'd end up uh, having both parties consulting their attorneys and uh, normally would lead to litigation if the parties could not then settle. And I think that's actually an important thing, uh, you know, Sakile, that you want to make sure 
that suspensive conditions are going to be met because I think sometimes people don't realize just how important that is. And as a buyer on your end, go the extra mile of stipulating things around, for instance, the suspensive condition that we all know is, of course, that uh, finance is secured, but be explicit with that particular clause in that you know, a bank, for instance, providing 80% uh, of the bond amount that you want the, the seller could argue, well, that's been met. You must raise the other 20%. So you almost, you, you need to specify that you'd want it at 100%. And you can even say the kind of rate that you'd want, right? So if the bank gives you to you at 100%, but you actually get prime plus three, you would have met the suspensive condition of you know, the finance being secured. But of course, nobody's going to be happy with a rate of you know, prime plus three. So almost stipulate that it must be you know, at max, let's say prime plus one uh, and below. So if you're going to go and get you know, prime plus two, then that you, you essentially wouldn't have met that suspensive condition and you're able to uh, no longer continue with that transaction. I think that is something that so many of us tend to not be aware of very early on. Um, and of course, don't know too put it in to safeguard ourselves to needing to then go ahead with the transaction that we may no longer want to or of course having to pay the penalties because they would argue well these have been met uh you didn't say that you wanted a particular rate so if you then go and don't follow through with the transaction uh, then of course as the buyer you would be at fault and whatever the uh, penalties are you'd very likely be liable to pay them so those are some of the key things that you absolutely need to be aware of now second i think one of the things um i, I want us to look at is and we're even talking about it of a is when, of course, the property that you are staying in gets sold. Um, and I know that some of these agreements, of course, have the, the provision of sort of having the first right of, um, of approval. Perhaps just talk to us you know, through that. And, and I'm thinking of people, for instance, who live in certain properties for an extended period of time and would rather if you know, a seller wanted to, of course, sell, would be comfortable buying that that property instead of having to uproot the family and get a, a different kind of place. Uh, when we talk about that first right of approval for people who are living in a property uh, that is going to be on sale or is now on sale, what exactly are we talking about? Okay, so here you're talking about the right of uh, first refusal, but which is not an automatic right that would have to be contained in your lease agreement that um, you know, we are renting this property and should the property be put on the market, then you would like or you reserve the right of uh, first refusal, which would mean that you would be then granted or given the opportunity of um, purchasing that property first. And obviously, should you not wish to proceed or should that deal fall through, then the seller can then put the property on the market. But also, um, just something to touch on is um, uh, in Afrikaans, it's, 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 an, um, it's a principle that's uh, meaning if, if you're a tenant um, in a property and that property happens to get sold, it should not affect um, your, your lease. So you should still be able to proceed with your lease. And what would happen is that that lease would then bind the new owner. 
Um, some people have had instances where, you know, you're renting a property, your lease period has not come to an end yet, and the owner decides to sell the property. Yes, they may approach you first, and in which case maybe you decide, no, I'm not going to proceed, and then someone else buys the property, and you find that the person that then buys the property would then say, look, this is my property, and I want you off, and your lease agreement will still be valid. So it's very important that uh, even purchases, when you're buying a property and there are tenants there, make sure to find out when that contract would come to um, an end so that you can apply your mind accordingly. But always keep in mind that when you do buy the property, it's going to come with tenants. Mm-hmm. We are taking your questions and comments this evening on the Private Property Podcast with myself, as we look at what you need to know about property sale transactions. Christine DeChabau on our Facebook page asking, what's the final stage before lodging? Can the conveyancer lodge while there are still outstanding documents from the municipality? Okay, so the documents from the, well, let me just run through the conveyancing process. So remember the two parties then conclude and they have an agreement which is signed. Also important is that before you sign the agreement, um, each party would always have, you do have a right to refer that document, that unsigned document to your attorney, have your attorney go through the documents and check the provisions and just see if it's legally sound, you know, and if it's uh, it will cover you. Uh, thereafter, the documents or the sale agreements would then be handed over to the conveyancer. Um, and with the conveyancer, the prerogative of uh, nominating the conveyancer lies with the seller because it's the seller's property. So uh, the process would then for the conveyancer would be to make sure that all conditions have been met. Um, if there are servitudes, um, that you know everything basically legally and technically has been brought to the attention of both parties. Uh, the purchase price has been secured. If there's a bond, that the financial implications have you know been attended to properly. And what's also important is that uh, the conveyancer needs to get then a uh, the rates clearance uh, certificates from the municipality. So to answer um, the viewer's question, no, you, you cannot proceed to lodge unless you've got all documentation because even when you do lodge uh, without having those documents uh, in place, um, your documents at the police office would then uh, get rejected you know, for lack of having X documents included, your transfer duty receipts or your rates clearance certificates. If it's in um, an estate, you know, you need to do it, the homeowners association, your body corporate, all of those things. So you need to have all of your certificates and documents in place, electrical compliance certificates and, you know, um, all your, your, your applicable certificates. Mm. Another question we've got here is coming through. Um, I'm not quite seeing who's asking us the question, but the question is, what happens if a deal passes through the property and the property is transferred, but you find the property in a state that is worse than when you viewed it? Uh, so what happens there? You know, you viewed the property, you make, uh, you know, you sign the OTP and we really go back, you know, as the matter is kind of uh, uh, being updated 
dated as the weeks go by. And suppose three months later, it's finally transferred when you take occupation. And when you go to it, you realize that it's not in the same state as when you had initially viewed it. Um, so remember, this is when you bought the property, the expectation is that it should be delivered to you in the state that you bought it in. So if the property has then been uh, levitated and, uh, you know, it's been ruined structurally and so, then the honest really is on the seller uh, to make sure that he delivers what um, um, he sold. Uh, there have been instances where a person buys a property, you know, you see a property today, you sign all the paperwork and then you disappear. And then the next time you visit the properties after registration and, uh, you know, monies have exchanged hands and all that. And really to get the person to go back and fix to say, this is not what uh, I saw or this and this has now been changed. Uh, and to get the people to comply becomes a bit of a mission, but this is why then we talk of a disclosure, you know, there would be that disclosure form in which all the checks you'd see, look, uh, there are no cracks on the wall, there are so everything, it's like a checklist that you take. And obviously, if at the end of the day, you've been delivered something which is contrary to the what you signed for in the disclosure, then you'd have to bring it to the attention of the attorneys. And, you know, in hopes, not really hopes, but then that's how you then have to address it. Okay. No, and I think, and I think you know, Sakina, that that's such a key one that when you then um, are viewing that property, we always say try to view it more than once. So the first time would have been okay. Now you're kind of happy with it because we also know the first time you view it, you're not looking at uh, all the taps working. Are there any cracks or all sorts of things? The moment you know you want to make an offer and you you want to sign on the dotted line. Ask their state agent to go see the property again. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And now you're going with the view of, I know I want to buy this property. What are some of the things that I uh, can possibly see that are wrong? So that by the time that offer to purchase comes, you're able to also you know, effectively list them, um, especially if, for instance, the seller has not disclosed any of them, uh, so that you try and minimize finding yourself in a situation like this as much as possible. Because the reality is so many of us view it once and then you sign. And, and, and we know that that one viewing for the most part simply isn't sufficient, um, especially considering how much of a big responsibility uh, that you're taking on with the property. Sakile, any final tip before we let you go for our viewers at home when it comes to uh, property sale transactions? Um, I think it's um, just to echo what you said that, you know, view the property more than once. Um, if possible, avoid going to viewings uh, in the evening, you know, rather do it during the day where you can see properly. Um, before you sign the contract, um, have a legal person, have your attorney go through it, have them explain to you all the different clauses and uh, just the implications of entering into uh, or concluding that agreement. And then you can then proceed. And that's exactly where we're going to leave it at this evening, Sakile. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's always such a pleasure to have you on the Private Property Podcast. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for the views.
And that is Usakile Sibego, who's an, who's an attorney and director at SM Sibego Attorneys. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast with myself, Uzamandungwa Kumalo. It seems Utsulu Semenya is not watching and is not being able to claim the prize. And so we have a rollover tomorrow evening. 1,000 rands is in the money bag. Make sure that if you've entered, you watch us live so you can claim the prize. Well, that's it from myself as Amadonga Kumalo. I'll be back on your screens tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Until then, do stay tuned for Mbali Nog at 8 p.m. Uh, and of course, stay home and stay safe.